Sword and Laser is brought to you by you. If you get a dollar's worth of value from the show, how about giving us a dollar back? Head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it is so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, amazing discussions from fans just like you. Um, and hey, we have a very special author on the show today, Rachel Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. But before we get into our interview, I just want to do a quick announcement about our Ink Shares contest that we've been running. We have a special promo for you guys out there who haven't yet started an Ink Shares account. And if you want to try it out, just head over to inkshares.com slash secrets slash sword and laser. You'll get $10 in credits to back a book of your choosing. Um, if you've already created an account and backed one of our sword and laser uh, contest participants, then you get an extra $5 to kind of keep the momentum going. So head over to the Sword and Laser Collection Contest and back the book of your choosing. We've only got like 12 or 11 more days left to go, but it's not too late to get your book into the contest if you want to be part of the inaugural Sword and Laser Collection over on Inkshares.com. So thanks really, for everyone. There's really no reason not to go back a book now because you're getting $10 for free. That's $10 for free. That's, That's free, free money. money. That's free books. That's free money. It's yeah. you know, supporting you can all then new authors. Essentially, take $10 that you have, go buy yourself lunch, and get a free lunch. It's kind of like we're buying you lunch. It's kind of like that. So get a free lunch. Go to inkshares.com slash secrets slash sword and laser. See, see, now y'all are going to get complaints that they didn't get a free hamburger. Yeah. Aww. That's not our bad. fault. Buy yourself the hamburger. Just go to inkshares.com slash secrets slash sword and laser. Awesome. But hey, let's jump into the first official segment of the show. What are we drinking? Uh, let's start with our guest tonight. Rachel, what are you drinking? Well, I, I was going to be drinking a Tropicalia from Creature Comforts, which is a local brewery here in Athens, and they make just the best beer ever. But unfortunately, I was ill-prepared, and my beer is like in the fridge over there. Do so, you want to go get it? Go get it. Um, I will get it really quickly. I feel bad about that. I'll be right back. Oh, well, we'll no, talk no, about what bad. we're drinking. Tom, what, are, what do you have today? You know, I did a lot of drinking. It was graduation weekend for my nephew. Uh, oh so right now, I'm having a lovely Yorkshire gold tea. That's that's very mm. nice. Um, I am also... Oh, so you're kind of lining the stomach, preventing the, you know, the acid backup that potentially happens from drinking too much tea. Is that why? Is that a thing you get? Do you get acid backup? No, acid reflux? but is that why people put milk in their tea? I'm maybe making up science I right now. I just think it tastes good. It does taste good. It does taste very good. But I'm drinking something that doesn't taste that good. Um, it's a <laughs> orange drink. Um, I'm drinking. It's in a water bottle because I'm trying not to waste plastic bottles. Uh, but it's B12 powder inside <laughs> of water. Okay, you got me beat. <laughs> for energy, um, for energy and feeling good, and you know, drinking water. I don't like to drink plain water because um, I'm weird like that. So mm -hmm. I have to put things that taste like other things into them. So Rachel should not feel bad at all about going and getting really the only decent drink of the three of us. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, I'm yeah. drinking bologna, he's drinking bologna, and you're drinking actual real alcohol, so congrats. Well, um, I, I am a sucker for a craft beer. So like, what is the name of it again? 
Um, this is the, it's, it's from a brewery called Creature Comforts. And I'll get it up by the camera. So you can see it. Very pretty. And it's called Tropicalia, and it's kind of hoppy, and it's kind of grapefruity. It's just really freaking good. And they didn't pay me to say this. They're just like the best thing ever. And they just started canning. So if you're in the southeast, um, like if you're, I know they have it in Atlanta, and if you're kind of in the area, it's super worth a try. It's really good. Wow. That sounds That's awesome. Great. All right. Well, you know, I first, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Rachel Aaron is an author, of course, um, but you also go by two names. You go by Rachel Aaron and then Rachel Bach. And I'm sure you're kind of sick of explaining this, but I think we've we've kind of figured out that Rachel Aaron is for the um, for the more fantastical urban fantasy side of you. And then Rachel Bach is the science fiction part of you. Is, is that accurate? That is correct. Um, Rachel Bach is my science fiction name. Also, my Rachel Bach books tend to be much more R-rated mm -hmm. than my Rachel Aaron books, which tend to be pretty PG. There's some violence, there's some adult situations, but there's no like outright sex. And whereas in Rachel Bach, there is outright sex. So if that's your thing, and you like powered armor and kissing, then Fortune's Pawn is for you, my Rachel and Bach And I name. do, because... I, I'm that also a fan. <laughs> Because this is how I found, I, how I learned about you, really. I mean, I had heard your name before, but I hadn't read any of your stuff yet. And then we read Fortune's Pawn for Vaginal Fantasy in my other book club show. And I just, I loved it. I absolutely adored it. I think everybody in the book club loved it. And um, it, it, I was very, very excited and nervous about that. So I'm really happy it was a hit. We can be kind of awful sometimes, so I definitely well, understand the trepidation. Yeah, you, you guys can be honest, which is both the best and worst thing. But I, but I loved it. So tell us, give us a rundown about Fortune's Pawn and the, uh, the Paradox series of which it is the first novel. Well, Fortune's Pawn is a sci-fi, military sci-fi novel about Debbie Morris, who is a mercenary. She's a powered armor mercenary, and she's very, very ambitious. And at the beginning of the series, she's just learned that she can't get into her dream job because they don't take applications. You have to be chosen which means that she has to go do something crazy to get their attention. And her solution to this problem is to go take the craziest job she can find on a trader ship where one year is equal to five years anywhere else just because the ship gets into so much trouble. But she gets onto this trade ship and she quickly realizes that things are not what they seem and really her life kind of goes downhill from there. Things get very bad, but there's a romance and there's a lot of action. There's a lot of powered armor combat which I'm a big fan of. I love powered armor. I love crazy sci-fi action. So it's got a lot of that. And kissing. There is a lot of kissing, which we always appreciate. And I feel like like Devi is definitely one of those characters that you're you're rooting for her because she's a badass and she has you can tell that she's got like a somewhat of a, of squishy insides. Like you know that underneath all that power armor and badass exterior, there's you know, she's she's just a human as well and she wants to find companionship and but it's not dependent on that. I feel like she'd be fine without any of the romantical elements. She's she's someone you'd look up to kind of no matter what the situation is. Well thank you. Yeah, that was something I really, really tried to do because I love romance but I also love hardcore science fiction. And so I tried to really braid the two together. And the story would not be the same without either element, but at the same time, it's not really a romance. Um, and uh, Which is funny, because I actually just got back from Romantic Times, where I was pitching it constantly as a romance, but I was, con I was always like, you know, it's, 50, it's really kind of a 50-50, well, it's really more 
to the science fiction side, not the romance side. And But at the same time, my readership is very equally split between men and women, and I've had very few complaints. I mean, I was really kind of worried that my male fans who've been with me, because my Eli series has no romance in it at all, and I was very worried that my male fans who followed me from that series were going to be like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to trick us into reading a bodice ripper? You should put some abs on the cover. But but no. it's uh, It really is just about people. It's a story about people, and people fall in love. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's get into some of our viewer questions. Uh, we took uh, a call to questions from the Goodreads audience. Um, and uh, Tom, why don't you take the first one from Lindsay? Lindsay uh, wrote in and said, I know you've written traditional fantasy, science fiction, and now urban fantasy with the Heart Strikers books. She wants to know, do you have a favorite subgenre? And also, are we going to see more Rachel Bach science fiction books? I I can't pick a favorite. I really can't. I'm the worst. Um, I love I love jumping genres and I love trying new things, which is why I have three different series in three different genres. Um, I am writing a new paradox books, a new paradox series of the craziest Blackbird crash team. And if you read the first series, Debbie was a Blackbird before she quit to join to get a to basically do a crazier job. Well. Bex used to actually be her commander, and Bex is really awesome. She's a different character than Debbie, but she's very badass also. It'll be kind of the same format of Fortune's Pawn, where you've got really awesome action, but also a romance. But it will deal much more with sort of the um, the issues left behind by the first series. We're going to deal with the Sainted King, and we're going to actually spend a lot of time on Paradox, which... We didn't actually in the first books, even though they're called the Paradox Trilogy, which is kind of funny. But um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to get out a lot of secrets that I didn't get to touch on in the first books. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, so they're, because the, the Paradoxians are, they're, are, are they, jog my memory, are they They're former, Space Sparta. They're Space Sparta. <laughs> That's right. But were they, were they of Earth? I mean, was Earth their initial homeworld? Yeah. Um, and uh, I actually didn't really get into this in the books, but I wrote it in the back, and um, I'll probably get into it in the new series. But basically, all the humans in my universe are all originally from Earth. But the problem was that at the very beginning of sort of the, the diaspora, uh, there were many people who just got on ships and left because the technology for how to build faster than light sh- ship drives was put on the internet for free. And so if you could get the parts, anyone could make it. And what happened was you had just random communities of people banding together, raising $100,000 and building a spaceship. And these groups of people just shot out all over the universe. But the problem was that all of these drives were very unreliable. And there was a lot of time dilation. And so you had people who were out you know, hundreds of thousands of light years away from the rest of humanity. And that was what happened to Paradox. And we sort of get into that. And so in isolation from the rest of humanity, they sort of develop their own entirely separate culture. And so when they meet other humans, when they meet the the Terran Republic, who's sort of the very kind of classic, sprawling, bureaucratic um, human society, there's a lot of culture clash. And that happens in the Devi books, too, because Devi is paradoxian, extremely paradoxian, like Miss Paradox. And it really is like Space Sparta, Space Texas, whatever you want to call it. it. They're they're very hardcore, but they're also, you know, and one of the things I'm dealing with in the new books is the dark side of Paradox, because Paradox is actually not that nice a place. It's a very violent place that is ruled by an absolute theocratic leader. 
he is a god king, literally. It's, it's like Warhammer 40K. And um, we're going to find out about the priesthood, and we're going to find out about that stuff, that the not nice parts of Paradox. And I think that'll be fun. You know, it's so funny because um, I wonder what it is about the <laughs> about the fictional human condition, because we're not talking about actual humans who are doing this stuff, but it makes me think about... Um, as well, the uh, Jim Butcher novels, the uh, Codex Alera, because humans separated again through space and time revert to a Roman-like what a structure, a societal structure. And I wonder why we as people keep going back to that. Is it because we somehow find it to be a better time in, in human history or a more interesting time or a more structured time or does it make it better for combat or I wonder why, why did you why did you go to why did you make them space Spartans? Um, well I really really wanted a very militaristic society and being from the western canon as I am uh, Sparta was what I had to work with and really though they're much more of a theocracy the uh, the violence part is very Spartan, but the, in the, but the independence part is not. The Grecian ideas of the independent man, that's actually not really there. You're expected to live and die for the king. And my life for the sainted king is one of the things they say a lot. And it's, you're expected to do what the king needs you to do. There's compulsory military service. Um, children are sterilized at age 12, and you are only given back breeding rights when you've proven yourself to be a loyal subject. And I got that from Starship Troopers, actually. And um, you have to earn citizenship. And so I've stolen a lot from a lot of things that sort of made this really, really interesting space society for Paradox. Like Paradox is really where I put all my cool ideas. And um, I just find it the most interesting society. And people are always like, well, do you really think we should do that? Like They think I'm setting out Paradox as the way I think things should be. And I'm like, right. absolutely not. Absolutely not. I just think it's cool. I just think it's cool to look at what could happen in this sort of society. Um, like, the, like on Paradox, there are democracy terrorists who believe that people should have a vote and they are treated as dangerous elements of society to be hunted down and killed. This said, not a nice place. Great well, gonna, if you drink the Kool-Aid, but yeah. not <laughs> if you don't drink the Kool-Aid. I'm going to take the first half of Terp Kristen's uh, question, Veronica, and you can take the second half, because uh, I think this actually relates a little bit. Terp Kristen wants to know not only what you did before you took up writing full-time, but what made you a fan of the genre, and when did you realize that you wanted to write in these genres that you're writing in? Oh, well, goodness, the, the fan thing is very easy. Uh, my mother and father are both giant nerds. And I know they will get mad at me for saying that because they would say the same thing. And so I was raised on Doctor Who and Babylon 5 and Star Trek and Star Wars. And my mom, we had all the Mercedes Lackey books. We had all the McCann and McCaffrey books. So we had all of Ursula Le Guin, like everything she's ever written. And that was just what was around when I was growing up. And I, I don't think I could have really avoided it because, you know, I was a kid. I didn't have a lot of my own money. So I just read what my parents had. And they had pretty much exclusively sci-fi fantasy and mystery read a lot of Agatha Christie um and I loved it and I loved it all um and growing up it was pretty much the only thing I really wanted to do I got really into anime and so I wanted to draw manga for a while fantasy and sci-fi manga actually but I'm a very bad artist so that didn't work out so I went to I went to writing instead and I love it I think that for me at least writing is sort of the perfect medium because you can do everything yourself in terms of creating the story and building the world. And 
I'm a control freak, and so that appeals to me very strongly. I think if I had to deal with a crew or something, I think I would go insane. Cinematographer, camera, lights, all that, yeah. You know, I I like to think that I don't have that bad an ego, but when when I'm in my book, like if someone comes up to bother me or suggest something the the stabby knife comes out. So. <laughs> I think we all have a stabby knife hidden away somewhere. That's and for sure. And what did you do before you started writing full time? Oh, that's right. Uh, I was actually um, I was a graphic designer, and I did CSS and some moderate web programming. Um, my husband is actually a PHP programmer, and we worked at the same web development house for years. And when then I got the call from my agent, and I quit because you know I was a CSSer at a small web development house, not exactly a, a high rolling job. But I was um I was in my late twenties when I got it, when I got the call. And my first book came out in two thousand ten and I've been writing professionally since two thousand nine. But I, I do have to say as someone who is right now, as we speak, redesigning her website, being a graphic designer married to a PHP programmer is a really handy thing to be. Oh yeah. As a, as a pre-writing career. The way you but, ended up getting out of manga is the way CSS shoved me out of becoming a coder. CSS is lovely. You just have to accept the weird. Yeah, and I just wasn't any good it. at it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I, really, I actually really enjoyed my career before being an author. But, it, I mean, being an author is the best thing ever. Why would you do anything else? Um, though I, I did... Uh, Back before I started writing full time, I got I used to get up every morning and write before work, and that was I did two hours a day every single morning before work, and uh, I actually had to at one point in my in my life make a decision between playing Warcraft and writing. I was oh, writing. hello! You are also yes. speaking to two Warcraft players as well. Well, wonderful! I won't ask Horde Alliance because we want to keep this civil. But <laughs> now I need to know. We're both Horde. What's We're both. I'm Horde. I'm oh, Horde. Thank you. Navigated Clearly, we're that. all cool people. Yeah, I've just alienated half my what, reader base. Uh, what? 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 We have to ask now. What? What class? What? Oh, I was a shaman. I played. Yeah! Shaman. I played resto shaman. Um, just pretty much exclusively. Like I had, a, I had other characters, but my resto shaman was my lady. And I also did enhancement shaman for PvP, which is just the best it's ever been. Oh, you funny. were Torin was... too, were you? I was a troll. Okay. I, okay. I was a troll. So I'm was, a Torin. I'm... I'm a Torin elemental shaman. That's fun. Elemental is actually very good right now, but uh, yeah, I haven't played. I'm a little behind. I got to well, don't, and then don't kind of stay away from that crack. It will ruin <laughs> any productivity. Staying away from it is what made Rachel Aaron a successful professional writer. Is yeah, I've, I've, I, I must confess, I have quit and gone back to Warcraft four times, and each time it's ruined a book. So no, really? I, I have to stay oh, away. Oh no, that's horrible. It well, it in the world I of just, Warcraft. It's, I keep saying I didn't quit because I didn't like the game. I quit because I couldn't play responsibly. And I have to be an adult. That's why my wife doesn't play. is because she knows she wouldn't be able to stop. I have an obsessive personality, so it's bad for me. (laughs) Uh, But getting back to uh, Terp Kristen's question, and actually we're going to go to talk more about your writing habits um, Mm -hmm. shortly after this, but uh, Terp Kristen wants to know, it seems that some of your stuff is a bit on the romantic side. How do you keep the balance between romance and the other stuff uh, to keep fans of both genres engaged? I feel like we touched on this a little bit earlier, um, but do you see romance as as kind of standing alone as a genre from sci-fi fantasy, or do you feel like your books are really just more integrated? 
Um, well, as I said, I just got back from Romantic Times, and so this is actually a question that's been a great deal in my mind, because I, I actually read a great deal of romance these days. I didn't used to, but in the last two years, I've really gotten into it as a genre, and, I, and, that, and that has colored my work a bit, I think. Uh, there's kind of a little romance in Nice Dragons. There's, there's a, the romance has been creeping in, whereas before I didn't really include it. But the approach I always take to my books is what is natural for the characters? What is part of their development? I don't go in thinking I'm going to write a romance. I go in thinking I'm gonna, this, is, this is the character that I want to talk about, and this is the other character who's going to be around. What would happen? And, you know, in the case of my Nice Dragons finish last, I have Julius and Marcy, who are so perfect for each other it's painful, but they're also both very shy, so it's been kind of fun getting them into getting them into situations but it, it really does um it really comes down to me to writing the book that I want to read because I enjoy romance but I also I'm still a giant sci-fi fantasy fan and I don't really like having to pick and so I blend I blend genres all the time because again I write for me initially and then I write for everybody else but I write the stuff that I want to read I write books that I'm looking for and this has actually made my career very difficult because my editors never knew where to shelve me. When they were, when they were trying to sell me to Barnes & Noble, they're like, well, what shelf does she go on? I don't know. And, um, but now that I've kind of gotten into self-publishing, genre has become even less important. Because um, Nice Dragons is a, God, it's got everything. It's sci-fi. It's post-apocalyptic. It's got a romance. It's an urban fantasy with dragons. It's dragons in post-apocalyptic Detroit with magic. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. Why yeah, do we need to label love? that? That is amazing. You just so, invented a genre that needed to happen. Well, it's always I always kind of uh, approach genres by what they are, which is their categories that were created by by vendors, by bookstores and libraries, and people who have to sort books to do their job. And so they're very useful, but as a reader, they're kind of ultimately useless. Because it's like saying, I like red dresses. Well, there are a million different types of red dresses. And maybe you don't really like red dresses. Maybe you like this particular red dress. Well, and and so... Yeah, that's a great analogy because then reds can kind of move towards orange or they can move mm -hmm. towards pink. And then do you put the dress in the pink or the orange dresses? Yeah. And as a reader, because one of the things I also try to do as a writer is I try to think with my reader brain because I'm a giant reader. I read all the time. And I am a very, very, very picky reader. Um, reader Rachel, actually, writer Rachel's a little afraid of reader Rachel because reader Rachel will drop a book in the first paragraph if it's not entertaining her and talk about myself in the third person. And, um, but I think that a lot of readers are like that. A lot of us are very picky in our entertainment. And so as a writer, I try to respect that and always give people the most interesting, fun, exciting ride I possibly can. I don't ask you to wait for me. I don't ask you to hold on. I swear it's going to get good. No, I, I make it good right from the beginning. And I also try to think, how can I nab the reader so I really work on my covers and my blurbs and my title to really get the sort of people who are going to like my story to click on it. And once you've got that click, genre doesn't matter at all. They're going to they're gonna like it because it's got dragons, not because it's urban fantasy. So that's interesting because it, it seems like this is something you have had to deal with because you use two different names for two different genres. Mm -hmm. So was that a conscious decision to, to make it easier on readers or to make it easier for people to categorize you? Or was, there, was that forced on you by the publishers? Oh, well, my publisher changed my name. 
and I understand why they did it. Um, my Fortune's Pawn book, Fortune's Pawn, when I when I sold it to Orbit, who was a lovely publisher, by the way, um, when I sold it to Orbit, they were like, you have to change your name. And I really wanted that book contract, so I said yes. But in hindsight, it was actually a pretty clever move on their part because my Eli books, again, they're, they're pretty PG, they're light fantasy, they're very different than the dark cursing well not really dark but there's cursing and a lot of violence and romance and kissing and sex in my fortune's pawn in fortune's pawn so it's important in authors one way or another so you're not hitting this giant pot you can you can hit a more focused audience and hopefully sell more books and hopefully develop an audience who can trust you to deliver a quality product that they already know what it's going to be and so it's really more about branding than anything else. But I also really like it as a way to just sort of keep my adult books, my much more adult books, separate from my books that are appropriate for all ages. Like mm. I've, I have readers for Eli who are 11, and they love it. And I have readers for Eli who are in their 70s, and they love it. But Debbie definitely is an older audience. Much more mature, yes. Yes. Um, so you got to be able to hear the word penis and not giggle. And not like totally freak out. Um, Tomahome, uh, to get into some of the other stuff you've written, had a question about... Um, Tomahome? Tomahome, yes. That's a, oh, I love that. I love that manga. Yeah, I, there, that. I, I thought you would, hoped you would get that connection. Um, uh, he wants to know, so how many words a day do you write now since you wrote uh, 2K to 10K? Ha ha, the, the million dollar question. Well, it depends. Um, I just got done with the sequel to Nice Dragons, which was a bear of a book for me. I got it wrong every which way I possibly could, and uh, I just made bad decisions in my plotting. I, and, you know, you can't really help if you, like, no amount of preparation can save you from a stupid idea, pretty much. And so that, I had a bunch of stupid ideas that I had to just kind of get into before I realized, wait, Rachel, this is incredibly dumb. Why are you doing this? And this is not what the characters would do. Was that so, reader, Rachel, coming out and biting you while you're writing? Uh, it, a, a little bit. Um, it was mostly, actually, in this case, sadly, writer Rachel. I, I got a real bad case of internal editor on this book, which I generally don't have a problem with. But I was so determined to make this book good. And I messed, And by the time I messed up on it like three times, I was in like draft three, my confidence was really shot. And so it was very easy to start undermining myself. And I got into kind of a bad cycle of undermining with my inner, my inner editor. And so finally, I just gave it to my husband. And I was like, does this suck? Just tell me. And he's like, no, this is a perfectly good book. Finish your stupid book. So I did. And it, it actually, now I'm very happy with it. But no, I, I still write about 10,000 words a day. Um, when it's bad, I write about 5,000 words a day. 5,000 words a day is my, let's just get through it, which I try never to do because I'm actually, I'm actually working using a lot of what I learned in, nice, in the One Good Dragon Deserves Another, which is the sequel to Nice Dragons, which is done and with the editor and will be out soon. Um, but using a lot of what I learned through this process because, man, there is no teacher like a bad book. When the book is going bad, you learn a lot about yourself and you learn a lot about writing because you have to fix it. You have to come up with solutions. So I'm writing a sequel to 2K to 10K called If You Don't Love It, You're Doing It Wrong, which is all about how to learn to love your novel again and how to kind of get over these humps that make writing really painful. Um, and so you don't have to have days where you pull out your you, you feel like you're pulling out your hair. Um, so that's, that's, that's a good thing came out of it. But yeah, I write about, I still write about 10K a day. My absolute max that I ever hit was I hit, I had a day where I did 15K, which 
was the actually the end of Debbie, the very end of Heaven's Queen. I just like, I'm finishing this book and I just did the whole thing. But I took 13 hours to do it. Wow. So it doesn't really count because I wasn't really in my, in my like zone. But that was like, that was a crazy intense day. It was super fun too. Know, that sounds like you were kind of in the zone. If you, if oh, you ask yeah. me, that sounds like turbo zone. 13 hours well, of writing. And, oh yeah. Well, I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew exactly what I wanted to say. And I was just like, let's do it. Let's get it done. Awesome. Erica's got the next question. Uh, says, I adored the Eli Mon press books and I love the whole gentleman thief trope. Are there any particular heist or thief novels that inspired you? Um, I actually set out, this is, this is gonna, this is, I'm gonna, I'm, uh, my nerd is showing here. But in the Eli books, I set out to do two things. I set out to create a fighting anime formula in a novel. So everyone's got powers, everyone's got their fights. Everything builds on each other. There's a, the fighting anime formula that you see in Bleach and any of the other fighting animes. Um, that is actually present in all the books. And uh, so that was there. But I also um, was a big fan of, uh, of Lupin, of Arsena Lupin. And I really wanted to do a, Who is a Gentleman Thief in anime and in the original French books. This kind of very witty, sarcastic, completely unreliable bastard of a thief. And um, I, I really based Eli a lot on him, but I made him a little less ridiculous because the Eli in my head was much more kind of tongue-in-cheek than Prattfall. But, and, and it is funny, though, because the book I get compared to the most for Eli is The Lies of Locke Lamora, which is the mm. Bastard series, mm-hmm. and, which I liked a great deal, but I did not actually read until after I had finished the Eli books. So there you go. Yeah, but are, I love it. I think, the, uh, I think the gentleman, yeah, I think the gentleman bastard trope is one that we really need to see more of because they're such charming bastards and so much fun. Because it's not like you can get mad at them for being bad. Those you cheeky rogues. When you walked in. Yeah. yeah. You knew looking at them. And they're gentlemen, after all. They're, they're not. They're not impudent. Just yeah. don't you know trust them with your money. No, absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Our final question comes from David, who says, uh, when you were on a podcast earlier this year, SF Signal, maybe, you talked about all the romance novels you were reading and that you'd like to write your own sometime, like a Regency romance focused on one of the bad girls. Is this something you really want to do in the future or is this more of a someday kind of project? Uh, This is actually something I very much want to do, uh, mostly because I've got this, I've got the whole book like ready to go. It's all planned. I'm just, I said, but um my it's a side project it is a side project um it doesn't fit in any of the genres i currently do it's not it it would definitely be so i would say it's a someday definitely project i am definitely going to do it but i have to finish my dragon books i have to write more paradox books i have to write this nonfiction book i've just got a lot on my schedule that actually has to get done before i can run off and do fun, crazy new projects. That was one of actually the great things about being a new author without contracts is that I could just run off whenever I got inspiration and just do whatever I wanted to do. But now I have, you know, a bunch of stuff that I really have to get done before I can run off and do all the fun projects. But I do want to do a Regency um, called the, uh, the Mean Girls of Mayfair, and it would be a three-book series. And each book would feature... A, a heroine who is usually a villain. We'd have a mean girl, we'd have a mistress, and we'd have a matchmaking mama. 
And these are the women who in romance are always kind of depicted as antagonists to the very good heroine. And, you know, I love Regency romance, but I get so tired of all the nice girls. I don't, I, you know, I just, I just get tired of it. I, all these good, all these good, nice, well-meaning girls. I really want to see, I really want to see a bitch, quite frankly. I really want to see someone come in and do it because, I mean, in the Regency, women were very oppressed. Women's, women's roles were very narrow. And that's not the sort of environment that breeds nice girls. That's an environment where if you have a woman and she wants to win, she's going to find a way to break the rules. She's going to find a way to make it happen because marriage was sort of the, the ultimate way you got ahead. So why wouldn't you have someone playing the game to win? And that's kind of the stories that I want to tell. Nice. Well, that, that is amazing. That does sound amazing, and I think uh, Devi too seems like one of those women. She wants, oh yeah, well I love win. I love strong women who don't take no for an answer and kick down doors. I just they're my favorites. Rock on. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, where can people follow all your work online? Well, you can go to rachelaron.net, and that's R A C H E L A A R O N dot net, and it has all of my books for both names, also my Twitter and my Facebook and my mailing list, which I only update when I'm releasing new books. So it's sort of a, if you want to know when it's out, sign up for the mailing list. And I, it also links to my blog where I post um, writing things and updates. And I actually do a, uh, I have a new feature I just started called Writing Wednesdays, where I do a post about craft um, every Wednesday. And today, actually, I did POVs and how to, how to handle multiple POVs, because that's something I deal with a lot. My books all have a lot of different POVs. And so I've had to get kind of had by necessity to get really, really good at figuring out when to switch. So I did one on that and I love talking shop. I'll talk shop forever. So these have been really fun for me, but it's all there. RachelAaron.net, the blog, all of that links off of there. That's Thank fantastic. you, Rachel. Everybody go check it out. RachelAaron.net. Uh, highly recommend Fortune's Pawn, uh, but, but look at all of the books that are out there. Uh, there's kind of something for everybody uh, essentially. Our show is entirely funded by our patrons at patreon.com slash sword and laser. Thank you to all the folks who back our show. And if you would like to support the show, uh, head to patreon.com slash sword and laser. It's value for value. You get something out of the show, give us what you think it's worth back. And if Patreon's not your thing or you want to find an additional way to support our show, uh, you can buy books through our website using our affiliate links. Um, all of our picks are over at swordandlaser.com slash picks. I'm sure you will find some Rachel Aaron, Rachel Bach books over there shortly. Uh, so if you want to check out a new new book, uh, head over there after the show. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussion happens over at goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 4157SWORD6. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thank you. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!